0: At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired.
1: We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Well: The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. Today on the podcast, we discuss concentration versus mindfulness, how to know if you're being concentrated versus if you're being mindful. We talk about how thoughts can break your concentration, and we talk about different meditation practices and if they are concentration or mindfulness-based. My name is Jacob Derossett, and we are here with Sarah Valley. Sarah, how are you?
0: I'm great, Jacob. Thank you. The Buddhist teachings are taught in lists, and the reason that they are in lists is because the Buddha was on this planet maybe 5,000 years ago, and back then they did not have books. So the way they memorized the Buddhist teachings was in lists. Four Noble Truths, the Five Hindrances, and the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. These are a few examples of the lists. I want to mention the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. They are concentration, effort, joy, mindfulness, equanimity, investigation, and a tranquility. And I always wonder about the difference between equanimity and tranquility. They seem very similar, but the way I understand it is equanimity is more about emotional calmness and tranquility is more about mental stillness. The reason I'm bringing these factors of enlightenment up is because we are going to be talking about concentration and mindfulness. They are both on the list of the seven factors of enlightenment. I'd like to put concentration and mindfulness in another context. Some people say that there are four components of meditation. One is the way we position our body. The second is the object we are focusing on. The third is our attitude. Are we frustrated in our meditation? Are we restless? Are we relaxed? Are we happy? And the fourth is our mental behaviors. They say that our two main mental behaviors that we use during our meditation are concentration and mindfulness, because those have the greatest influence on our ability to change our awareness of our internal and external stimuli.
1: What is the difference between concentration and mindfulness?
0: Mindfulness is the part of us choosing what to focus on. In concentration, that's the part of the practice when we're actually concentrating, when we're actually focusing. Mindfulness is noticing the details of what we're focusing on and concentration is simply just keeping our attention on the details. There's differences, they're subtle. The mindfulness part would be noticing when we're distracted, but the concentration part is more like an on-off. We're either concentrated or we're not. And the mindfulness part is we're noticing what stage we're in. We're noticing what status our concentration is in. Some people say mindfulness is the more sensitive part of that practice, more of the yin and the concentration is more forced, and that's more the yang. I read a study that had the participants practice a straight up concentration exercise and then later practice a mindfulness exercise. They took data on their brain waves during both of those exercises when they were practicing the mindfulness they had higher rates with all of their different brainwaves their brain went into more delta more theta more alpha and more beta than when they were just simply practicing concentration
1: attention is i'm looking at you on the screen right now awareness is i'm looking at you and i hear my cat playing with something in the background so i use this in coaching a lot when people are moving through space more specifically, with like a lifting exercise, they'll have their attention on the three cues that I gave them. And they typically get overwhelmed. I learned to say, okay, I want you to watch me do this exercise. Now, when you're doing it, imagine me doing it. So it shifts people from attention to awareness that usually results in a more relaxed approach. And they're, they're able to get their body to behave more closely to what I'm actually asking. So let's say someone is sitting at home and they're listening to the birds outside, which is very common when I practice in the morning. It's kind of nice that I have that reminder out the window. If I sit there and I just listen to the birds, is that mindfulness? Is that concentration? Is it neither?
0: I think in the industry of meditation and mindfulness, this is a gray area. And the way I see the difference is the curiosity factor. How curious are we when we're paying attention to the birds? If we're just concentrating on the birds and we're just simply listening to the birds and we're just focus, 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 then I would consider that to be concentration. But if we're doing it in a mindful way, not only are we focused on the sounds of the birds, we're also being curious about it. We're asking ourselves, how does this experience affect my body right now? How does it affect my thinking? How does it affect my emotions? It's that awareness part is being aware of how the sound of the birds is affecting yourself on these different levels.
1: Can you give an example of you're in a practice and you're doing mindfulness versus you're in a practice and doing concentration?
0: Like I said, this is a really gray area. This is very mucky.
1: Yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm picking that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: But for me, it's that lack of curiosity, that lack of Mm -hmm. opening awareness to the holistic experience. Uh, We're just concentrating on the sound of the birds and it's just our focal point. And we're not really opening up to the bigger picture of the other aspects of the experience for ourselves, the physical aspects. How does this feeling in my body? How is this moving me in an emotional way or, or mm-hmm. not? And, and without putting a lot of effort into that curiosity, without letting that curiosity take you down these rabbit holes and distraction, but just it's that openness. I mentioned those questions that we ask ourselves just to represent the openness of Mm. the whole experience.
1: Yeah. That sounds like by definition, one is more closed off and one is more open.
0: Right. Yeah. And honestly, I sometimes just practice concentration and sometimes I'll teach my students and clients to just practice concentration for certain periods of time because concentration, I believe is so important to our practice. And so if we can develop that and, and spend some dedicated time just to concentration, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think it's good for us to be educated and to know that's not actually complete mindfulness. That's really the concentration part. I think a reason that sometimes we don't differentiate mindfulness from concentration is because they both help us practice de-automation, right? We practice concentration and we practice mindfulness so we can get out of our autopilot mode. I also believe that mindfulness and concentration are both vehicles to get to this certain state in meditation that we want to get to. Did you know that Zen and Transcendental Meditation are not mindfulness? <laughs> I think, really? yeah, I think some people glop all that together. If you go on the internet and search for an article on Zen and mindfulness, you won't really find much. I yeah. did it the other day. I found one site that said uh, the three steps to Zen Mindfulness, which I had to chuckle because I've spent some time at Zen temples. And the big takeaway I got there is that the Zen meditators are very good at not using steps. That's a big difference. In mindfulness, we have steps, which I love. That's one of the reasons I love the mindfulness practice because I do really well with steps like that. And then if you do a Google search for transcendental meditation and mindfulness, you'll find a bunch of articles that explain why they're not the same practice. So,
1: yeah. So I did a whole like koan month. I was like, I don't really know if this is for me because I was supposed to meditate on the koan and it just feels redundant. But also to be fair, I had already been practicing Zochin, which is what Sam Harris mostly teaches. Who is the person that is breathing? Where is the person that's breathing? You have this shift of your perspective of like who is the person that is having this thought. You're more or less watching your mind do all the things it does after that. It's mindfulness based because you're gonna have this this shift of perspective very subtly. I know that transcendental meditation, people like get a very clear sense of relaxation pretty much instantaneously, from my understanding of of it, because it's concentration-based. You know, I don't know if you're I don't know if you're taught to cultivate large amounts of awareness of your mind or if you're just supposed to go back to the mantra
0: all these different practices are all wonderful. And I don't think that one is any better than the other, but like your experience, Jacob, you did not resonate as much with that practice. And so that's what I think the nice thing here is, is that people have these different options. They might resonate more with TM than with mindfulness. I would say Zen, they wouldn't consider that concentration-based because that is still a vehicle. That's still a technique using concentration. It's Yeah. Uh, zen, I, I look up to Zen practitioners. I, I'm glad that I dedicated myself to mindfulness so I could be a mindfulness teacher because I think if I dedicated myself to Zen, I don't think I would achieve the level of expertise to be able to teach it.
1: <laughs> Zen is weird. That's the only word I could use to describe it. If you're not familiar and you just kind of sit around, not hoping to get enlightened. Cause if you hope to get enlightened, that's not part of it, but it definitely resonates with certain people. I do a fair bit of kettlebell lifting in my training and uh, kettlebell lifting is definitely a personality type. It's great that there's many different vehicles for people. You don't think that Zen would label their practices concentration-based?
0: I don't because they're just simply sitting and just opening up to the stillness. I don't think that they would consider themselves to be concentrating on anything in particular, but you know, no matter what you're practicing, I think that when people say, I can't meditate, I think that they're usually referring Referring to their concentration. I think that what they're really saying is I can't concentrate. And so that's why I think concentration is such an important topic to talk about in a meditation class. I talk about concentration in every single class that I teach. We have a part of the class before we meditate that I go over a concentration skill.
1: So Dzogchen, they will not even teach you what they call the higher teachings. And these are Dzogchen masters and until you have done a preliminary practice for years before they will not even, essentially, they won't let you in the temple until you have spent a couple of years developing a very clear sense of concentration and the ability to focus. Same with the app that I follow, there was a, a month long, very much of Vipassana-esque lessons of just how to concentrate on your breathing.
0: I like that, that it's separating the concentration and saying, this is something that you need to develop.
1: It took me years to separate from a thought. Concentration is like your your baseline, like aerobic work, we'd say that you have to go out and build your base, right? If you're going to go run a marathon, you have to get time on your feet. You can't think about training until put at least about 100 hours on your feet in a year.
0: Do you think that you are better at concentration or better at mindfulness, or do you feel like you distinguish them much during your practice? How, How does that work?
1: I'm horrible at concentration, terrible at it. I think I'm much better at mindfulness. If you tell me to focus on one thing, it's pretty hard for me. I mean, I would say near impossible. Being aware of kind of everything going on is a lot easier for me. But if I say I'm going to focus exclusively on my breathing, I feel like it's an almost impossible task. So maybe that just means I need to do more concentration-based mindfulness. But what's your take on that? You want to diagnose me?
0: (laughs) An antidote for that might be to spend some extra time in your sitting practice developing that scale of concentration, which will be a topic of a future episode. Here, what we're going to talk about is why are we having such a hard time concentrating? What is it that's distracting us. The answer to that are a few different things. One is physical distraction. And when I say physical, I don't just mean your body. I mean our physical world. Consider that you're in your sitting practice right now, uh, a loud noise, a physical discomfort, a bright light, something in your physical world can distract you. Your thalamus can distract you because it is designed to break your attention about four times per minute to scan the environment for threats. Your emotions can pull your attention away and your thoughts. And that's the biggie, your thoughts. Thoughts on their own do not need to be distracting. That's the big lesson is how to allow those thoughts to be in our consciousness without distracting us from our meditation practice. I have a couple theories, and this is because of my own practice and my students and my clients. One of them is that we are afraid of forgetting something, right? We are sitting there meditating and a thought comes up into our consciousness and we let it distract us because we believe that thought is important because it's reminding us that we need to do something.
1: What is your, uh, your opinion on keeping pen and paper beside you while you meditate and to get the thought out?
0: Some of my students do that. I think that's okay, but it's not ideal. The ideal Mm -hmm. situation is to move into a place of trust, trust that you will remember. If it really is important after your sitting meditation, it will come back to you. Say to yourself, I trust that I'll remember. Another strategy that I have for those type of distracting thoughts is to take a moment and think about what is the most important thing as a human being for you to remember. The answer to that is different for different people, depending on their faith. As a Christian, a Christian might say, I need to remember I'm a child of God. If someone is spiritual, that most important thing to remember might be, I am a huge dynamic spiritual being. For an atheist, maybe the most important thing to remember is I am atoms, molecules, flesh and muscle. And so what I find is when I take a moment and remember the most important thing that is to remember, then all the other Things that I feel like I need to remember just don't seem to be that important anymore.
1: When I was in college, I had this uh, saying, well, we're just on a rock that's hurling through space and time. When I get stressed about tests or whatever, it was like, well, we're just on a rock hurling through space and time. Yeah. Kind of
0: doing an ego check. Yeah. <laughs> Another reason I think that our thoughts can be so distracting during our sitting practice is that we believe we are not powerful when we are not thinking. We believe that our thoughts are, are what make us powerful. We break our concentration to become powerful. I'm not thinking, let me go back into thinking so I can be an effective human being in this moment. That's false thinking. (laughs) So that, but that is what we do.
1: Why is it that if we aren't attached to our thoughts, do we feel so powerless or why is it that thinking causes us to feel more powerful?
0: We use our thoughts to solve problems, which is powerful. We use rumination to learn from the past. We also use rumination in a way that has a negative effect on us, but it it can have a, a positive effect to reflect on the past. We use thoughts to build things. We use thoughts to converse with other people, build relationships. Thoughts can make us powerful, but the real issue here is when we're not thinking we are still powerful What are some activities that we do that we can do without thinking?
1: You can get captured by a lot of activities and that doesn't require a lot of thought. Like when I play with my cat, I don't think that I'm, I don't feel like I'm thinking. Things that are immersive, you know, too, like sport, playing like in invasion sport. When you're doing that, there's not a lot of thoughts happening.
0: You've entered a flow state Mm. where you're just moving through without the logical thinking process. Yeah. And when I say without thinking, a good way to think about is nonverbal. You know, what can we do without using any words in our, in our mind? Cause we're constantly thinking in, in these words the obvious one, meditate. <laughs> we can yeah. we can meditate being nonverbal and that's very powerful because it's changing the chemistry of our brain. It's changing the physical structures of the elements of our brain. It's changing our neural pathways, walking. Walking for the most part is something that we can do non verbally. Washing dishes. I can wash my dishes non verbally, but I can't clean my house non verbally. I tried this the other day. I was experimenting. I do need to think in words to be able to figure out how to clean my house. Otherwise, I tried it and I would just kind of like stood there and I was like, uh, (laughs) sex. Sex is something that we can do non verbally. I agree with the sports, you know, i mountain bike. That's a a good example. How about making money? Can we make money without using any words in a nonverbal state? I don't think so, but maybe.
1: I haven't found a way yet.
0: So the whole idea here is for you personally, the listeners, to think about some activities that you can do without using words. What can you perform nonverbally and to try to do those more? and to embrace the power in those activities. And that will help balance that thinking around how powerful we are when we're not thinking. We are powerful when we're verbal and thinking, but we're also powerful when we're nonverbal, when we're not thinking. Bringing that philosophy, that belief into the sitting practice is really going to help with your concentration and your mindfulness. And on a scientific level, these activities, if you do them in a nonverbal way with mindfulness, you move out of the default mode network, which is a certain system in our brain. And science actually shows that when we're in that network too much, it actually leads to depression. I've noticed with my clients, when they make that shift, when they start to realize that those moments in their life, when they're using concentration and mindfulness, whether it's in sitting practice or just a moment during the day, they're taking a break from their work. When they realize how powerful those moments are, that's when their stress really shifts, that they're really able to reduce their stress. And I also have this theory that if we spend more time in nonverbal mode, (laughs) the thoughts that we do have are pretty important and pretty awesome (laughs) because I feel like there's some kind of mechanism in our consciousness that's like, well, if I'm not going to think that much, then the thoughts I'm going to have are going to be the good ones. So I've experienced that.
1: The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. He was a chess prodigy and then became a push hands, which is Tai Chi world champion. And then he got to a very high level in Brazilian jiu-jitsu he will write down a question at the end of the work day, not at the end of the night, but the end of his work day. And then he'll let it like bubble in his subconscious. So it's something, a problem he's trying to solve or an idea he's trying to cultivate. And then as soon as he wakes up in the morning, he'll go and brainstorm and write down everything he can. And he believes that his default mode network is super suppressed and he's fresh off of a night's sleep. And he said, it's just an absolutely incredible practice.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. When you wake up in the morning, those are when I have some of my best ideas and and after I meditate, kind of mm-hmm. same idea, you really pulled it out of that default mode network. That's how I wrote my last book. All those writings I wrote directly after meditation what percentage of my thoughts are important? Sometimes I like to think about that. And I don't know, for me, I think maybe, maybe 20%. I think there's like 80% of my thoughts really aren't necessary. And I think the mindfulness is a good way to notice that that's happening. And when we see those percentages, it helps us take that step back, which is such a huge, important skill and in mindfulness practice.
1: So what do you feel like you struggle with more concentration or mindfulness or neither? You're an expert, right? You don't struggle <laughs> with anything.
0: <laughs> no, 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 not true. I am naturally very curious. So the mindfulness part, I think I do pretty well on. The concentration can definitely be challenging for me as it is, I think, for most people. If I skip some meditation, like say I go a week or so without meditating, I can tell the difference in my concentration. It does diminish. It does decrease. And so that continual practice is really important for developing concentration. Concentration isn't something we're just born with. It's like math. We have to learn math. You know, We have to teach our brain how to concentrate. I have 10 tips for developing your concentration. And so we will have a future episode in which I share those tips. In the meantime, nice. I will add a few resources to the blog post for this episode.
1: The Aware Mind podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame s as in soothe and d as in dwell mind as in mindfulness.org check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode also please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips and don't forget to follow us on instagram at aware underscore mine underscore podcast thank you